Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Hey Hey NWA. Um, we just finished recording an episode last night that you're about to hear um, with our friends Smokey and the Mirror. Yes. Uh, Brian and Bernice Hembry. Um, we got to sit down in their house. Um, I first saw um, Smokey and the Mirror at the Artist Center of the Ozarks um, almost a year ago. Um, it was in the spring and it was coming down a flood. Um, but I got to meet them and listen to their music for the first time. And I thought it was incredible. And I approached them afterwards and talked to them. And after a long, long process, uh, we finally got them on the podcast. Yes. And we're very excited to have them. Oh, so thrilled. And these two, I... Yeah, I, I remember when I first saw them, um, I was actually at Block Street Party, mm-hmm. and they were fantastic. Just, I oh, I just love a good upright bass, a good double bass. She plays a mean upright bass. Oh, man, just kills it. And I remember in college, I tried to learn, and it was a mess. Really? Oh, yeah, 100%. I took a semester of upright bass classes, what and I did issue? a bad job. Was it because it was fretless, or was it because... Well, it's it's huge, and uh-huh. there's a lot of technique associated with it. You know, not I'm you know I make music for this podcast, and I love to play bass, just electric bass, right? But double bass is a completely different animal. It's because it's fretless. It's because uh, you have to get you really have to press against the fretboard. You have to have good hand just posture and technique overall. And I've been lazy. Probably strength too. I'd oh imagine. yeah, hundred percent. Huh. So I've always had immense respect for upright bass players. Well, I th- and this episode was so much fun to record uh, because, as you'll find out, Peyton and I... So they're a folk band, we should mention. Um, Peyton and I don't know anything about folk music. Oh, man. Uh, which comes across pretty heavy in this episode. It is. I would argue it's a theme of the episode. Um, but Which is great because we get it explained to us, which means it gets explained to you. Yeah, because Peyton and I are lay people. Um, we are ignorant about most things that we walk into a room to talk about, um, and we are there to learn. And I hope that we are your surrogate if you don't know anything about app development or folk music or, or whatever Lent, else. Or, or whatever. Um so we hope that we're surrogates that can kind of hand off information to you as we learn. Uh, so the fact that we don't know anything may have been a positive thing. Yeah, that's in the listener's jurisdiction. But I always, I always joke with uh, the people that we're interviewing about how I'm probably going to ask stupid questions for the mm-hmm. sake of the listeners. I did not joke about that this time. It was very dramatic how much uh, I did not know. And you'll hear Bernice say, you have no idea what we're talking about, do you? Because there are glazed looks all over our faces. Yeah. And eyes just kind of rolled back. Like, I want to understand, but I do not. So please educate. And I will say, in conjunction with this episode being released, I am pulling together a playlist to be distributed 
for this episode specifically. That is something that I am going to do for this episode. So it'll probably drop the next day after this episode is released. But nevertheless, you're going to get a playlist so you and I can both get educated. And by you and I, I mean listener, you and I, me. And Spokey in the Mirror will definitely be on the playlist. Let me say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun to get schooled on this stuff. We jump into some really interesting conversations about uh, what folk music actually is, which I think is really fascinating because, um, according to Brian, it's a little bit broader, a lot broader um, than I had previously anticipated, perhaps. Um, but it was a lot of fun, and I was actually kind of surprised how, like, well-known and large they are as a oh yeah duo, how out far stretching their impact is well um, especially with even the feel listener feel free to yell at us if we don't know some of the really impressive names that they have um and have had at the Fayetteville Roots Festival because we didn't know um and if you do know and it's like uh, how could you not know this Zach and Peyton yeah that's what you sound like listener well um perhaps when you're aggravated with us Mm. and we understand we don't need your hate mail uh we will (laughs) receive it graciously hey hate mail just means they're listening so whatever fair fair uh once again we will have another ozark superstition thing at the end of this episode if you haven't heard it before um, go listen to Jarrah's interview. And if you want to just skip the whole interview and jump to the end. But you should listen to the whole thing because we love Jarrah and Leisure List. Yeah, but if you just want to listen for that Ozark Superstition thing, it's at the end. Um, we talked about uh, what itching and sneezing means oh, uh, a riot. For, for your fortune and for uh, who for you your, might... Your mail. Who you might kiss in the next week. Uh, what kind of... Um, quality of pants you'll see in your next stranger. Oh, yeah. And what deity will be aiding you in your next week? Yes. Which, hint, it's the devil. Yeah. So go back and listen to that. That was a lot of fun. And I have no doubt you'll enjoy this one coming up at the end of this episode. So with that being said, we'll rejoin you on the other side of the interview. Enjoy Bernice and Brian. uh, And enjoy some good music we'll hear along the way, too. So uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, Northwest Arkansas, welcome back to another episode of Hey Hey NWA. We are sitting in the beautiful home of Brian and Bernice Hembry of Smokey in the Mirror fame, also of Three Penny Acre fame. Um, would you mind telling us uh, what Three Penny Acre and or Smokey in the Mirror are for those who sure. have never heard of you? Hey Hey NWA, this is Brian Hembry. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Well, that's some real deep cuts there. You know, I'm impressed that you, uh, tracked all the way back to Three Penny Acre. Mm -hmm. We, uh, we try to. (laughs) Bernice and I, um, played for a number of years in a a pseudo bluegrass band. Um, everyone thought we were bluegrass. We were not bluegrass. It was really just a folk outfit. Um, and, uh, for a while it was a five piece band for a very short amount of time. Uh, for a while, about a year, it was a four-piece band, but the the majority of the time it was a trio, and it was Bernice and myself and our good buddy Baird Blaine, who's a... Mm, yeah, that is not him. That's not yeah. him. <laughs> Thanks, Merle. 
So we played for a number of years in this pseudo bluegrass outfit. And the idea is when you look at it on paper, you know, you got a mandolin, you got a guitar, you got an upright bass. Um, it kind of looks like bluegrass. But really, we were just into singer songwriter, folk music. And um, we were writing our own tunes, traveling around the country, releasing our own albums. Um, and Baird is also a luthier. And he builds guitars and mandolins and all sorts of instruments. And he eventually just uh, decided he didn't want to travel on the road anymore. And um, that was in like 2013, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. 2013, at the, at the end of the, of the touring season, we played the Moab Folk Festival, which was, uh, it's usually like end of October, early November. And uh, we did a big run of shows out to the Moab Folk Festival and then back, and that was kind of the end of that run. And then two weeks later, we had a series of shows scheduled um, in Houston, Austin, and Oklahoma City. And the whole idea was we were going to record a live album. And it was with our good friends Raina Rose and Rebecca Lobie. And that was our cutoff. That's where we switched from Three Penny Acre to Smokey in the Mirror. Yeah. We were like, what a better way to start. <laughs> yeah, we changed our name because we it's not the same. It's not the same as Three Penny Acre music. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Baird was such a big part of Three Penny Acre. We felt like it, it couldn't continue. Yeah. And people adore Baird so much. We would travel and <clears throat> people would like, what? Where's Baird? Where's Baird? Is it Three Penny Acre? <laughs> we literally on that run, we we played this show in Houston at this cool venue um, called the Mucky Duck. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like an Irish pub, but mm-hmm. known for its music. They have it's great sounding room, um, and literally this guy that we'd stayed with in Houston before came that night, and he was like, "Where's Baird?" <laughs> and he, he like he was really disappointed. Right? <laughs> and and uh, but you know, Smoking in the Mirror that gave us this break to kind of make the duo Bernice and myself kind of the center of what we do. You know, we can strip it down all the way to just a duo or we can add to it. Um, and uh, that was that was kind of the birth of that. And, and we released that album in the spring of 2014. Um, and then, you know, we've just been focused on Smokey in the Mirror ever since. Yeah. How would you distinguish between, you said the two have different sounds. Yeah. How do you, well, how do you distinguish in your own mind the difference in sound between... Oh, I'll tell you. Absolutely. <laughs> Electric guitar... That's okay. the mm-hmm. distinguishing factor. Um, we, I don't think, ever played electric guitar in Three Penny Acre. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that gave Brian an opportunity to pull out the electric, which he loves. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, a little bit more electrified, okay. Smokey in the Mirror uh-huh. is. And um, I do a lot more lead singing. Baird and I sang a lot together in Three Penny Acre and had a lot of those bluegrass harmonies. Mm-hmm. And so the difference in Smokey in the Mirror is that I sing a lot more lead by myself. Mm. And Brian and I do harmony singing, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's completely different. So, yeah. And then Bernice plays time. a lot more piano. We never, we, yeah. we did some recording on a couple of Three Penny Acre tracks where Bernice laid some piano as kind of like some pad. Mm-hmm. And so it was a part of the recorded version, but we never played that live. And uh, so, you know, in a Smokey in the Mirror show, now, you know, Bernice might play five, six songs on piano. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a difference. And then when we tour as more than the duo and we're a three piece or a four piece band, usually we have drums. So, you know, it's, it's, it gives us a wider musical palette. It allows Bernice to explore some of her kind of rock roots. Um, some of my, you know, kind of like grunge rock roots. <laughs> um, and then everything in between still folky, still singer songwriter, but it's just a, it's a wider, wider net. Gotcha. Yeah. And is that something you intentionally tried to do? Is that, or did that just kind of happen as you guys became your own just, duo? I think it just happened. As we were playing our duo songs, I think it just blossomed from there, from yeah. the electric guitar to me playing lead on piano. And, and we'll do a song that I've done on bass 
for years and it will sound completely different when I play it on piano. And so it just, it just transformed our sound in a way that wasn't intentional at all. It just yeah. kind of happened organically. In Three Penny Acre, what made it work was we had three distinct singers. So I'd sing a song and then Bernice would sing a song and then Bader would sing a song. And there was this variety that happened, even though we never really switched instruments too much. It was an acoustic guitar, a mandolin, and a bass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The variety of the vocal kind of kept it rolling. And and we could do a two-hour show and it and it always felt fresh to us and I felt like to the audience as well. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, I think it was born out of that, this realization that with two people, you want to keep that vibe rolling this idea that you're not just doing the same song over and over again in terms of you know okay here's the chorus here's the verse mm -hmm. here's the guitar you know and create some variety um so it stems out of that but then also um brian sings a lot more in smoking the mirror yeah. he hardly ever sang well, i shouldn't say that in the beginning of three penny acre you never sang. yeah i never sang. and uh it took years of, like prying the voice out of brian to get him to sing and so now he he does a lot more singing he found yeah. his voice with smoking in the mirror i would yeah. say yeah, wow. I, I, mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Um, I would sing maybe a song or two in, in like a two-hour Three Penny Acre show. Um, and then I remember distinctly when we were heading into that live record, Bernice was like, you're going to have to pull your weight now. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was very much like, here's where we're headed, Brian. Don't screw it up. Yeah, yes. and I love harmony singing. It's my my favorite thing and it's it's probably the the thing i'm best at in the musical world and mm -hmm. so it was a heartbreak to not have that harmony voice and so it was out of despair for harmony that uh -huh. I, I forced brian to sing more yeah. so i could have someone to sing some harmonies along with yeah. yeah yeah those would be missed i'm yeah talking about those bluegrass harmonies just yeah, mm -hmm. yeah and then transferring to a more singular voice yeah it's just a little jarring it is it's a different <laughs> different thing how did each of you get into music? Was it something that was a part of growing up with family? Was it something you delved into when you were a punk kid in high school and wanted <laughs> to express some sort of rage? Or what was it for each of you guys that got you into music? Uh, for me, I was pretty young. I started on piano and I just, I loved music from a, a really young age. I remember when I was probably like 10 or 11, my mom or dad got me this big note Willie Nelson songbook. Whereas like easy piano chords and it changed my life. It was, it was that songbook. Uh, so I played piano for a long time and then sang in choir. I did voice, classical voice for many years and uh, studied musical theater. That was my, oh, my path in life was musical theater. Musical theater. Yep. That was me all the way until I met Brian Hembry who introduced me to, I knew bluegrass music because, uh, I've got some hillbilly family way back uh -huh. in Arkansas here. Uh, but it wasn't anything I ever really took a, an interest to or thought about mm -hmm. singing until I met Brian. And we met um, over music. Yeah. We met at a, a jam night. Our friends introduced us one night. We did. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in a house. We had a piano, but it was just like there. Mm -hmm. And so I would plink around on it and, and dig around on it and be like, you know, this is really interesting. Uh, my stepdad had a dulcimer and uh, he didn't play it. No one else played it, but it would just sit there. Yeah. And so like when I was by myself, I would pick it up and play it like a guitar. Yeah. And then one day I broke a string <laughs> and it was like, oh my God, you know, in my mind, I broke something that was fundamental to the instrument. Right? Correct. You know, like that you could not replace, mm -hmm. or at least that's the way it seemed not only in my mind and also in, you know, the, the face of my stepdad. Well, how, hence it was sitting around forever. I don't think he knew how it worked. Right. Yeah, exactly. He didn't know that you I had could no change idea. the string. But anyway, 
anyway, so that was my rock and roll guitar uh, from the years of like seven to twelve. Uh, and I was probably 14 when I finally got my hands on a real guitar. And I had a friend that was, uh, man, he was, he still is a, just an awesome guitar player. He, uh, he's a disciple of Nuno Betancourt, if you're ever familiar with that guy. Nah. Nuno is the guitarist for, <laughs> sounds hilarious, Nuno is a guitarist for Extreme. You ever heard of that band? I was just <laughs> talking about Extreme. Yeah. Oh, we were, of course. We were talking about Extreme last night. Yeah. Why oh, is this weird. a constant yeah. theme? So, so you are being sent messages to listen <laughs> more to Extreme. Yes. So Nuno is a guitarist for Extreme, often plays with his shirt wide open and very like muscular yet skinny and tall. And he plays this amazingly fast style of guitar music. He actually, he recorded, he's famous for this recording of flight of the bumblebee that he does all with tapping. Okay. Which if you're into guitar nerd stuff, like I am, Mm -hmm. it means that you're not really playing the guitar. You're using harmonic and tap hammer ons to create the melodies and whatnot. And uh, so it's fascinating. So that was this guy that I knew. He was, he was probably like 80% of Nuno's level. Really good. Um, and of course, then I went to him and I was like, teach me this Nirvana song. And he was like, ah, spit on that. You know? <laughs> um, but it was, enough, it was enough to get me kind of started. And uh, I was 14. I had nothing else to do. And I just had this cheap, cheap guitar. And I, I would sit there in front of my radio. And the song would come on. I didn't own any tapes. So it was just like, that sounds really silly. Um, <laughs> Uh, but anyways, I didn't own any recorded music. I just listened to the radio and try to like learn the songs. And um, it was a great time in music. It was um, three chords and some screaming, and you had a hit. Yeah. And so uh, it was like 93, 94, and I'm learning how to play guitar. And in two weeks, I'm not that far away from some of the people on the radio, or at least in my mind. You know? <laughs> right, right, um, and, and so that was kind of my beginning. And then... Um, uh, I came. I moved to Fayetteville. I was here at the university as a freshman and started kind of a four-piece rock and roll band called Douglas Keys. No one remembers that. <laughs> and uh, I think we still have some maybe tapes. And no, CD. no, those, that was CD. We were okay, up to okay, CD by okay. that point. Okay. Uh, tapes were Twenty Below, which was a high school band. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, that was our freshman band. Uh, we our biggest gig was in the basement of Yoakum Hall on campus, uh-huh. and uh, and then shortly after that, I met a guy uh, from North Little Rock. His name is DJ Murphy. Still is DJ Murphy. Anyways, he and I formed an eight-piece funk band called Grandpa's Good Time Fandango. Okay. And a few people remember that. Oh, if you lived um, in Fayetteville during those years, you yeah, know late that '90s, band. early 2000s, they were the um, party band. We were the party band, you know, and um, so we had we had a, a multitude of instruments. I played banjo, mandolin, piano, and guitar in a funk band. In a funk band. Okay. Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh wow. <laughs> we had, um, a, we had a guy that played turntables and didgeridoo. Um, <laughs> this is no lie. This okay, is real. Okay. We had a sax player for a very short time. We had sax and trombone, uh, DJ on bass, the funkiest slap bass player you've ever He's heard. A great mm-hmm. bass player. Yeah. Anyway, so that that was that was that, and then um, so that was pretty that was pretty nonstop. We were playing a lot of gigs and playing all over and traveling and starting to tour. And then I decided I wanted to go study in England for a year and I couldn't take any of that stuff with me. I had a Rhodes piano. Can't take that with you. I had an electric guitar. Can't take that with you. So I had my mandolin. 
and I took my mandolin with me. That was the only instrument I could travel with. Um, and I started getting really into bluegrass music because I had that mandolin, and I was like, this is what I'm going to play. And so um, I got really into bluegrass music, and I came back home, and I met Bernice, and she didn't like bluegrass music and i was like <laughs> well, this is not the was, way it's supposed to be when, I, when he first introduced he started off maybe on the wrong foot by by just just slamming me with bill monroe and and oh God. stanley brothers uh, th- that was okay but the uh the the rank strangers yeah that's that. yeah that's but stanley. some ralph stanley deep, yeah. some deep and cuts I'm deep sorry cuts. Okay. for all the the ralph stanley fans <laughs> but it was it was too much for me at that yeah. time i had just gotten i had just gotten out of of studying classical voice and like the proper way yeah. to sing and to use your voice. And that was not it. That right. was not it. And yeah. um, it was, it took me a couple months to come around. It was so fascinating to me though, the way they use their voice and it would draw you in, mm-hmm. in a way that was, uh, at first it would like make my skin crawl, but then I would go back and listen. So I would think, what are they doing? What is that? <laughs> and then I, I got yeah. stuck. Uh, and then I listened to Dolly Parton's, um, Bluegrass record. Yeah, maybe that had just came out. I don't yeah. know when that came out, yeah. but I uh, listened to that. On the grass page. is blue. Yeah. Sugar Hill Records did this massive survey of all of their fans or people who had bought records from them, and they said, who's one artist that you would love to see make a bluegrass record? And Dolly Parton was the, you know, the biggest response. So good. Have you guys listened to this record? I don't believe I have. Bits and pieces. Well, I am a Dolly Parton fan. Okay. Uh, Pretty, pretty. uh, She's uh, a hero of mine, and so I, of course, love it. So I don't, I don't know if you will admire it as much as I do, but yeah, it was great. And right after we met, um, I sang on stage at the Grandpa's Good Time Fandango reunion show. Was it the last show? It was the last reunion before the next one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that was a fun night. That was funny. That was at Chester's. Yes, in Chester's. Which is no longer. We are feeling older than you guys now yeah, at this point. We <laughs> we're are, giving you the real We're looking deep, across deep and history. seeing you with the glazed look yeah. of not knowing any of these. You know movies. where Stir is on Dixon Street? Yes. Yeah. That used to be the most amazing music venue. Yeah. You would never know it. Mm. Well, that was a great But spot. now it's a martini bar. Of course. Yeah. So anyways. Yeah, it's changed. Back that. in the day. Um, <laughs> but that's the long story of saying like, you know... You know, as soon as I came of age, I loved music and just couldn't stop. And I think Bernice is kind of the same. And then we eventually yeah. met each other, and we just keep that role. We kind of melded. We we came from different backgrounds. What I would have never sat in front of the radio and tried to play along like that mm-hmm. to me didn't make sense at all. Like I needed the music, I needed to study it, and he didn't read music at all when we first met. And so we had this collision of philosophies on how you play or go about music. And uh, we learned a lot from each other. Yeah, <clears throat> he learned me how to. He he learned me. He learned me. How. <laughs> learned me good. He learned me good. She had just moved from the country, <laughs> way back in the holler. Uh, that's funny. Uh, one four five. I remember him telling me like, "Oh, you just we're just gonna play this, and you just follow the one four five structure." And that was that made no sense to me at all. And so I had to learn what the number system was, and it, it was. Now I can play in any jam circle, That's pretty right. much. That's pretty right. Much. Yeah. Okay. But that sounds is... like I can too, because I understood that, and I'm really <laughs> happy about five, it. I mean, you can play 90% of what's going to uh, go yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. I'm, <laughs> I'm not the musical type. But it, I mean, <laughs> okay. what your story sounds like, my brother 
picked up my mom's banjo she hadn't touched in years and that was how my brother got into music so that's just a really uh similar thing and then my growing up you know my grandparents my grandfather being from ozark mountains missouri growing up on bluegrass and gospel music and that sort of thing um i've heard that in their car so many times and um you know at the time it was oh what is you know what is this i think i was kind of like you bernice like what like what is is fascinating about this um but then you talking about i come from a musical theater background where it is emphasized that you articulate every word <laughs> so that the audience can hear you, what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And please yeah. sing on pitch. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. will not be hired if you do not as, sing on pitch. As opposed to bluegrass, which is like mumble through your words. And if you're off pitch, it's that lonesome, deep longing that you're evoking. You know, mm-hmm. that is that completely different, uh, approach. Yeah, so, so what what makes bluegrass or folk music, I guess, fascinating for you? Um that's a great question. I think um for me initially as like as I was learning music, um I got really tired of simple rock and roll songs that were three chords that you learned in like 5 minutes. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I discovered these bluegrass songs that were three chords that you could listen to over and over and over again, and it might take you six months to perfect. Mm-hmm. And there was something really fascinating about the difference between the two. You mean the style of the guitar playing? The flat picking? Just Is that what you mean? The style of the flat picking, uh, the style of like how everyone in the band was taking a break you know, and playing a solo. And literally, you could have a four-minute song that sounded like you were on a constant journey the entire time. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a rock song sometimes, especially towards the end of the, like, I think at the end of the grunge era, they were literally just plugging chord progressions into a machine and just churning them <laughs> out, you know, like uh, sad depression lyrics, Google. Mm. They didn't uh, have six, Google, four, five. Yeah, exactly. You know, there you go. And uh, we got a song like, you know, have this depressed man sing it. And, uh, and so then the op- opposite of that was a depressed man that really was like, horribly longing for something that was playing three chords, but there were all these other flourishes that were happening in the music. I've never said that before, but right now it seems applicable. <laughs> um, and, and so it just, it, it seemed like there was more to dig into for me. You know, there was more interest in what was happening musically. I started thinking about more than just the chord progression, but what was going on top of it. I couldn't play at all, but I was like, Oh, this is interesting. It gave me more things to noodle on. And, uh, that was that. And then, you know, it was tied to history. You know, you get back to like things that I heard as a kid, you know, grandfathers listening to, uh, my, one of my grandfathers was way into Western swing music you know and um so there was a bridge between western swing and bluegrass in my mind in some way you know you had a heavy fiddle based music that kind of thing um i don't know but more at large folk and bluegrass it's really not so much bluegrass that i'm massively interested in folk music is just um is anything you know i mean pop music can be folk music rock music can be folk music there's 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 uh no wider well, you know, genre. 50 years from now, pop music will be. Yeah, music. exactly. There's no wider genre, so to speak. Okay. And that's fascinating to me. It means just like the fact that, you know, the bluegrass song model was wider than a grunge rock song. Folk music as a genre seems massively wide to me. And, um, you know, so when you say folk music, yeah. what do you mean? 
How how is it that pop will one day be folk music? Can you explain that to me? Well, pop music is inherently popular now and not popular tomorrow. Okay. Right? Sure. And so as soon as pop music is not popular, then it's folk music. Meaning the person is still playing that song, but it's it's no longer played because people think that it's interesting because it's popular. They're playing that song because they wrote that song. It's and like a piece of history from their yeah. generation okay. yeah. that they carry right. with them. You, you know, you know so, like my love of 80s songs <laughs> for uh, Bergen yeah. are probably folk songs. I mean, like she listens to them and they're like, what are these weird folk songs while I'm singing? Mm-hmm. But they're from the 80s. <laughs> I'll give you an example. I mean, Cindy Lauper is a great example. Okay. Okay. Cindy Lauper was top of pop in like the mid 80s, right? Late 80s, early 90s, maybe. Um, but if you listen to Cindy Lauper today, I'm not saying I do it often, but I just, for some reason, <laughs> she popped in my head. She's a folk singer, right? Okay. She's no longer making records and selling millions of records, but she's still writing and singing these highly personal songs. And all of a sudden, when you take the, the, the aspect out of the fact that she's doing that because she's popular and you realize that she's doing that just because she wants to create something, then it's folk music. Gotcha. So there's an element of folk music that is inherently a historical artifact of a time. That's part of it. I okay. Think so. Yeah. Well, in uh, in the let's like the academic term folk means music that's been passed down orally. It's not music that was written. Hmm. It's music that you're passing down from one generation to the next. So yeah, that makes it really broad, right? Yeah. 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 For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, for example, uh, if you're listening to... Uh, I, I, this pop thing is interesting to me. If you're listening to a pop song from the 80s, you're not listening to it because it's popular now. Sure. So why are you listening to it? I guess not for, you know, just because all my peers enjoy it. It's because I actually enjoy it and find meaning out of it. Exactly. So then it's folk music, right? So you as a human, you as a folk, as a person, identify with the music beyond the fact that it's just popular. You identify with the song, you identify with the lyric, you identify with something about it. Hmm. To me, that's like how wide folk music is. Huh. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. We have really gone deep in this. Yeah. That's- no, this is great. <laughs> well, I've never considered that. I always, you know, when I think about even contemporary pop music that identifies itself as like a like the head and the heart sure. yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. For example, they are creating pop music in a genre with instruments that are reminiscent of folk. The folk yeah. revival. Right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when we tell people, if people ask all the time, it's the most asked question is, what kind of music do you play? And when you say folk music, uh, people, I think it might be a different generation too, but um, there is a generation of people that think you're Peter, Paul, and Mary, like that, you play that kind of music. Right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think when you hear folk music? Well, yeah, I was I was gonna say pretty much the same thing. Just a uh, just something um, like very the mighty obs- wind, <laughs> very obscure, I yeah. guess. Like, and um, yeah, just more, I guess, country and nature, and with all the instruments listed, but mm-hmm. but something that you know other people listen to. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, when I think folk music in my own mind. My brain, like I said a second ago, it kind of goes to this weird pop genre that isn't quite folk, but Mm -hmm. is labeled as folk. Um, But I really enjoy um, 
recently, for some reason, I've gotten into, um, I guess they would be considered folk songs by your definition. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, Irish, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like Irish traditional? Like or? Irish traditional. Pub like, songs, like that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think about like the song The Parting Glass. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been hundreds ballads. and hundreds. Sure, ballads. ballads yeah. Yeah. Or even logging songs or she yeah. sea shanties or these sort of yeah. things. That's, that's, and that's, see, in my mind, that is more a definition of folk tunes. I think Brian and I probably have a different definition of what a folk song is. Right. Um, yeah. And I definitely think back to... The ballads. Ballads are definitely in that folk tradition. Yeah. Which got me turned on to uh, folk music when uh, I found this old book, probably not long after I moved into this house, and it was a, a ballad book. And I saw a song in there that was this song that I had learned in classical voice, mm -hmm. but it was here in this ballad form. And as I started digging in, I realized all of these songs that we know, and even some pop songs, all have originated from these ballads that came over from Ireland and England and Scotland. And then yeah. they've just kind of been watered down and then formed and molded into something else. Bob Dylan is the master of doing that. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, when I hear folk, probably that's where my mind goes. Yeah. To I remember in that book, there was a version of Barbara Allen and yeah. you're like, I heard Bob Dylan sing this. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, that's folk too. But that's my that's I guess my point. It's massively wide. Um, if you're singing the song because you want to sing the song, it's folk music. If you're if you're singing the song because people want to hear it, it can be folk music, but it's not necessarily folk music, right? If you're listening to the song because you want to hear it, not because it's number one on the charts, then that's folk music. I mean, it was, it's wild. Yeah, I don't know. That's really You're making it really broad. I think I, maybe too broad. We might get an argument, guys. We're going to have to... Do perfect. it. We might have no, to... No, no. Uh, <laughs> that was... Do it. Bring it on. Awesome. Okay. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an okay. example. You, you mentioned the head and the heart, right? Mm -hmm. And the head and the heart is derivative of this kind of new folk revival if we're going to get academic about sure. it right so this is this is a rebirth of the 60s folk revival okay and the 60s folk revival would be peter paul and mary it would be you know joan baez even bob dylan um woody guthrie that was towards the end of his life and it was people that were glorifying woody guthrie and lead belly and 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 it was it was a revival of 30s and 40s music that was folk music, okay? Okay. So you have this kind of 30-year trend happening, right? And then we get to um, we get to the new folk revival, and you're and, and you're thinking about, like, like for example, I still remember, and this is going to sound crazy of some level, but I still remember the first video I saw of Mumford & Sons, and it was not commercial at all. It was literally just them in some white T-shirts, and I was <laughs> floored. Um, I, it's still on my Facebook feed. If you go back far enough, you can find it. And I was like, this is amazing. It's like April of 2010. Okay? okay. And my reaction to that was like, wow, this is, this is so emotional. This is so amazing. And it was hitting on something. I mean, it was, it was the, you know, the, the folk version of the Beatles in some sense where it swept <laughs> what everyone was doing. You know, and, and, and that's where you get the head and the heart and these other kind of folk derivative bands that have the instrumentation that, that you think of when you see folk music right. or hear folk music. Um, and, but, I hope but, the head and the heart do not listen to this. It's terrible. We're referencing them so much. No, 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 no. They're, they're great. <laughs> but, um, 
but if you go back in bluegrass, you see the same thing. So let's get historical about it. So the same thing happened. Bill Monroe and the bluegrass boys were the Mumford and Sons of 1945. <laughs> okay. Okay. So they come on uh, the Grand Ole Opry in like late 44, early 45. And it's Lester Flatt on guitar and Earl Scruggs on banjo and Bill Monroe. And they play three times as fast as anyone else that's playing on the Opry. And it's blazing and they're singing crazy high harmonies. And it's just like, blow your hair back. Right? People are just blown away. Well, they had a brief two or three years where it was like, that was the thing. Okay? And then it became derivative. Okay? Mm. And literally, by the time you get to Elvis, when he records Blue Moon in Kentucky, that's 10 years after when, when that song was a hit for Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. Okay? So there's like 54, 55. Okay. And he records Blue Moon in Kentucky, which is a Bill Monroe song, and he records it 4-4 rockabilly style. It's, it's throwback at that moment. It was a folk song to him. You know, literally in 44, I think Elvis was probably 9, 10 years old. I'd have to do my math there. But, I mean, he, he was a kid listening to what his parents and grandparents were listening to. Right. And he reinterprets that and puts that out as a rock and roll record. And then, you know, you have that bridged gap. I guess what I'm saying here is, like, the same thing happens. You have these watershed moments. You know, Mumford is that watershed moment for what you were trying to describe. But if you were to go back beyond that, there was people playing folk music. Right? right. There were people that were playing similar things. I mean, one of my favorite bands in the entire world, the Del McCurry band, which is derivative of Bill Monroe. Del McCurry played with Bill Monroe back in the day. I mean, I, I don't think there was anyone I was listening to more in the, in the year 2000, 2001 than the Del McCurry band. And not necessarily because it was popular or not necessarily that there was anyone else really listening to it, but the, you wouldn't have the Mumford and Sons without the Del McCurry band. You know, it's like all derivative. So, which was a folk. great bridge to talk about them being at the festival. Sure, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they're yeah. going to yeah. be here okay. this year. I got really passionate about it, but my point is, it's folk music is is derivative. It's tied and connected to history, yes, but it's also played not necessarily because it's massively popular. It's played because that's what the people are playing. Gotcha. Yeah. So you guys <laughs> are. Don't let me get it wrong co-founders co-creators of the Fayetteville Reach yeah. Festival yeah. is yeah. that what it Bernice really created it okay. I just stand up behind her and prop myself up on her accolades that's not true at all <laughs> so uh, Bernice created the Fayetteville Reach yeah, Festival yeah, yeah it all started that. with me I just had to give the permission <laughs> uh -huh. and, and then it was created uh, no it started um, by us just wanting to house some of our friends that were coming through town all at the same time on the yeah. same weekend yeah. in August in 2000 and what year is that? 10. 10. Yeah. We, for a number for about three years, we had been hosting house concerts right here. Uh, we would clean out the living room and host these house concerts to maybe 20 people in the audience. And these were people that were coming through that we were friends with, that we would go out and play a show with somewhere out on the road. And then mm -hmm. when they were traveling through, we'd host them for a show here. And they just needed to make like, you know, 200 bucks that night to yeah. help them get down the road. And it would happen here. Yeah. And so, so we had been doing that. And then um, once you start, listen, if you want to be, if you want to be popular among musicians, just start a house concert. <laughs> and once everyone knows you have a house concert, they will want to come and play. Everyone will come and want to play it, right? Uh -huh. It's like, oh, man. hey Zach, let's talk. <laughs> hey, I heard and you're doing you a house concert. And you have a couch concert. I can sleep on. Yeah, exactly. And and that's fine. Like that's that's what I love. It's yeah. like let's have musicians. And over we for... also that's what we do on yeah, the road exactly. so much. And so we we you, want to honor. We want to we want to pay back. You know, like, yeah. that was why we started doing it. There's was... nothing more humbling than driving 10 hours down the road 
meeting someone you've never met before and they open their house to you and let and literally we've had people move out of their bedroom so we could stay the <laughs> night in their bedroom for the night wow. and they invite 50 of their friends over and they have this you know house concert there's nothing more humbling than that because it's like oh my god this person was willing to move their entire life to m- allow us to do what we do for two hours mm. um and they fixed this breakfast <laughs> the next day <laughs> yeah you know? so so we were doing that here in Fayetteville, and um, we literally got an inquiry where there were four different artists that said, hey, we're coming through on this weekend. And I thought, how can we take 20 people in the audience that all throw $10 in the hat and split it between four artists? That's not going to work. Not going to work here. And what so, yeah, and so we, we bas- you know, I just pitched the idea to them. Um, I was like, hey, what if we did this as like a one-day festival? And we invited a couple other friends, and we put it all together, and we did that. And that was year one. And so it was Bernice and myself organizing and, and prepping and, and putting that all together. And um, and Jeremy, our good friend at yeah, Greenhouse Grill. We were hosting it at Greenhouse Grill. Mm-hmm, and um, Jeremy gave Three Penny Acre our very first gig, really, you know, <laughs> uh, back at the old Greenhouse Grill when it was – like small, tiny little tin yeah. table. We've restaurant. had a long musical connection with that guy. Yeah, so I mean, he was the co-founder from the beginning because we were calling him, going, "Hey, we've got like eight folk bands. Can we come and set up in your restaurant?" <laughs> uh-huh. You know, and um, and and so that's that's where it started. Gotcha. I love that. I love that. It's just I just want to support all my friends that come through and that is, yeah. have people show them, have people started. see them. Yeah, have them be shown. It was great. We <laughs> um, had to move it that year because uh, one of the city water pipes exploded um, halfway through the day and it flooded greenhouse grill we were out there with like sandbags and we have it on film it's pretty epic moment Uh uh and so we we didn't know what to do and thankfully brian called brian crown at george's jeremy called brian crown oh nice okay yeah and they didn't have anything going on that afternoon which was miraculous in itself and so uh they let us bring everybody over and so we just that day moved the entire show over to george's and finished out the evening it was amazing yeah and someone came up and bought a cd from every artist that was there that night and everyone came up and said this is so great let's do this again how can we how can we help you? Let's do this next year. Yeah, I walked to the merch table and they said, that guy over there bought one of everyone's CD. And I was like, I need to meet this guy. Uh-huh. So he can and, buy my CD. Well, no, I just was, I, I was, the deal was, is, you know, when you, when we split the ticket revenue between all the artists, it wasn't, still wasn't that much money. I yep. mean, maybe each artist made 300 bucks, essentially what they would have made had they host, had they played a house concert, you know? But at the same time, I couldn't host 12 house concerts on one day, so it kind of worked out. I was like, I feel like this is a success. And so merch, uh, CDs, T-shirts, that's the lifeblood of an independent artist. And right. so the fact that someone came to the festival and bought one of everything on the table, I thought, that's amazing. So I walked up, and I introduced myself, and, and I was like, I'm Brian. Thanks for being here. And he said, uh, I'm Hershey Garner. I love what you're doing, and let me know how I can help you next year. And uh, Hershey gave us a little bit of seed money. Um, just as like uh, good faith money to be like, hey, take this and see what you can do with it. Um, he was on the board at the Walton Art Center at the time and um, basically convinced and conjoled them to let us do a <laughs> night of music at the Walton Art Center. Wow. Um, awesome. And that was year two. And so that was in 2011. And we had um, one night of music at the Walton Art Center. One night of music that was kind of like a kickoff night uh, that we did at Hershey and Denise Garner's house. It was kind of like just the opening night. And then um, we did a night of music at the Walton Art Center 
and we'd booked a bunch of bands, but we didn't really have a headliner. Um, and we didn't think we needed a headliner because we didn't have a headliner the year before. Mm-hmm. It was not necessarily that model. Just a bunch model. of people we loved coming to yeah. play music. But, but in my mind, you know, we probably all have this. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> if anyone ever gives me $3,000 and says, put together a music festival or whatever, and uh, who would I, who would I want to hire because the next year they might not let me do it again? Right. You know, that was kind of my mentality. And I called on Guy Clark, who was probably still is Mm. Bernice and my most uh, favorite songwriter, our most uh, impactful influence, I think, in terms of. You guys know that guy? No. Okay. Well, you you have a lifetime of listening. Right now we should maybe insert. uh, Let's see. We should play Guy Clark's The Cape. That's a great song. You could check that one out. Or we for our wedding. Randall Knife. Stuff that works. Stuff that works. Yeah. That was our wedding song. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, okay. great song. Right? That will One be of playing right okay. now. Actually, <laughs> right now. Stuff that works. Stuff that holds up. Kind of stuff you don't hang on the wall. Stuff that's real. So so. Uh, we called on Guy Clark. Um, you know, I wasn't following Guy Clark's touring schedule. Um, I called and they were like, well, he's going into surgery in a couple of weeks. And if it goes well, we'll call you back. He was, he, he was, he was, he was getting up there. He's about 72 years old. And, uh, and, but you know, Guy, in the folk music, you don't have to be a rock and roller. You don't, you know, it's not Mick Jagger, uh, you know, I mean, and, and so anyways, uh, they called back, and this is around March. The festival was in August of 2011, and they're like, "Hey, guy, came through. Everything's looking good, and he wants to do some shows. If you want to do it, it's on." And um, in my mind, I think Bernice and I probably talked about it. We're like, "Well, hey, if nothing else happens ever again, we've this is gonna happen." Hey, there's our clock. Uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> we uh, we hosted Guy Clark that year, and. Um, that was one of his last concerts. He, he stopped touring after that mm. and um, died about a year later. Wow. Um, maybe a year, year and a half. Mm. And uh, and so it was this it was this seminal moment. It's kind of where we started learning to kind of cut our teeth on what it meant to have a festival and to like welcome in, uh, you know, uh, kind of headliner musicians and know what that was about and know how to like greet them and host them and what, what to get off their rider, you know, to have in their dressing room and that kind of thing. Um, luckily we booked a guy Clark first. He was easy, mm-hmm. gotcha. you know, literally it was super easy, but you know, we, we, we laid the groundwork there and, um, that year worked like the first year where there were people that were like, we love this you got to keep doing this. And uh, so we took them on their word and we just have kept doing it. Awesome. Well, I can't imagine kind of transforming that into, Hey, this is just my friends and a house or in a small venue to man, this is a full festival. (laughs) Um, I guess how has that transition happened? I mean, is this, did it blow up as I'm, I'm guessing way faster than you thought it would. I think so. Uh, it's hard, I think, from our perspective because we work on it. Brian works on it every day, yeah. which I'm not shitting you. It's hard to believe that every day someone can do this. And you have, uh, Brian likes to say, and I, I think you said this for the first time last year, and it was kind of a, a realization of you, you're only open and in business for five days. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it, you know, we're going in, we've had eight years of the festival. The first year was only one day. So, seven years times three or four days plus one day. 
Yeah. We, we've only had 24 days of festival. Yeah, Not so a very, you know, experienced <laughs> so, Yeah, group. exactly. You don't really... When you say it like that, it really makes you think like, wow, oh my God, yeah, this is... It, we're, we're still, still learning. babies at this. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it has it has grown, I think, more than we ever dreamt that yeah. it would. Um, but for us, we work our butts off on it. And so I think it's hard for us to step back and say, wow, what, what has this turned into? Yeah. For me, it's something... Um, how to, like that first year at Greenhouse Grill, the water main broke, and like it should have sunk everything. <laughs> Quite <But> literally, it, <laughs> literally, and it didn't. Like all of a sudden, we were at you know, literally, we. Blinked. I think it could have, and I think for some people, they may have let it happen. Yeah. Um, but we are just not like that in our personalities. I yeah. think we tend to, um, we work a lot. We're pretty hard workers. <laughs> yeah. And so we're pretty good at just putting on the boots and well, getting down there in the mud and fixing the problem. And true, true. But but it could have sunk it, and it didn't. And I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. That That's kind of interesting. Why argue with, you know, fate? <laughs> no, I, mean, I don't mean like, I'm not being like it's fate. But I mean, it's like, oh, right. wow, that worked. You know, go with it again, you know. And, and uh, nothing said we should have been qualified or able to host – you know, a festival, a full day of music at the Walton Arts Center. That was like, you know, we were hosting house concerts initially, you know. And so yeah. we tried that and that worked. Um, and and Guy was Guy Clark was really happy. It was this wonderful moment where, um, you know, at the end of the night, he was like, thank you. This was amazing. I really appreciate it. You know, I didn't, I, I was like, I don't know how we pulled this off. Okay, cool, you know. <laughs> and, and the next year we planned two days at the Walton Arts Center, two days of music. And... Very in a similar nature, late in the planning uh, stages, we got a call from John Prine's uh, agent, and they were like, "Hey, John Prine's routing through, and you want to do it?" And it was way more money and way more hassle than I ever thought we would be dealing with. But it seemed. Do you guys know John Prine? I can tell. Oh, you got another faces. another oh lifetime. I'm going to you know call what? you out every this time. Is great. <laughs> I can tell by the looks on your yeah. faces. Um, it's okay. Oh, yeah. he's he's the top of the top of songwriters. So, I mean, yeah. if you guys enjoy singer songwriter music, John Prine's he's he's your guy. I'm taking notes. Yeah. So, so and 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 John Prine had this writer that was really long, and I I literally would like dream about making sure we got it right, and it freaked me out, and I would wake up in a cold sweat, you know, with this dream of like, oh my god, it's festival night, and we didn't get the stuff, you know, and 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 at the end of that night, um, I'm walking out. And it had been a really beautiful night of music. Um, and we're walking out, and I said, you know, Mr. Prine, thank you so much uh, for playing Fayetteville. This is such, this is so great. Thank you for being a part of our festival. I said, when was the last time you played Fayetteville? And he said, this was my first time. <laughs> you know, and I just like, wow. Like if you I, did that. Yeah, I was like, yeah. if someone had told me that on the front end, I, ne- I would have flipped out. I just mm-hmm. wouldn't, you know, I, I just didn't think that through or whatever. And that night, uh, John invited Daryl Scott, um, up to play a song, John Prine. If you follow John Prine, he he's this really famous song, um, and and he ends his shows with it, and uh, it's a song about growing up in Kentucky. Um, anyways, Daddy, you take me back to that one. You know it? Nope. <laughs> We're gonna keep playing this game all night. Well, I'm sorry, my son, but you're too late in asking. Anyway, so he invited Daryl Scott to play with him, and Daryl's uh, family is from Kentucky. 
And I booked Daryl Scott before we knew we were going to have John Prine, but it was this nice one-two punch, right? And we were standing backstage after they sang that song together, and Daryl said, hey, uh, John, you know, I'd like to record that song. And the next year, he and Tim O'Brien, Daryl Scott and Tim O'Brien, recorded this album, and they had John Prine sing on that album with him that song, and it won a Grammy. Or is wow. nominated for a Grammy. Okay. You know, it was like, wow, that happened yeah, at the festival. Yeah, you created that yeah, meeting. And, and, and so this is what I'm getting back to at this yeah. moment of saying, like, there are those things that happen. And I'm like, I don't know how that happened. And sure, hard work or whatever else, but there's just enough magic in it. Mm-hmm. There's just enough. No matter, I spend every day working on it, but there's always something magical that happens that I can't explain or that I can't put a source to or say this is how that happened that that you know keeps me going yeah it just takes a little bit of magic to make (laughs) us work really hard yeah (laughs) and and uh i'm a fool enough for music that you know when it's magical and when it's musical and it is that combined uh it kind of keeps keeps it rolling for me um and you know um i could i could probably tell you 20 things like that over the years that have happened with the festival that beyond all the work, beyond all of the late nights, beyond all the like sweating dreams where you're flipping out, you know, thinking, you know, it's like when you have that dream, it's test day and you haven't studied, you know, that's the yeah. dream you have. Uh, or that's the dream I have about the festival. I don't ever have that. Dream, yeah. So Bernice is fine. She's like, quit worrying about fine. it, Brian. Yeah. yeah. But beyond all of that, there are always these things that happen that are pretty magical that I don't think you can just make happen. There's just this right ingredient, everything happening, that's that's working, that keeps me going. And that sound that may sound really crazy on on podcast. I'm sure you're out there listening. Go, this is nuts. Well, you're on this podcast where we, you know, we've been around for a year and we've felt similar things. Yeah. Just that yeah. bit of magic, bit of connection with somebody else. Someone just so happens to know somebody else, and mm-hmm. that's right. We meet them and they're incredible people, and they're not, you know, they're not just on the podcast. They're our friends. And that's right. So yeah. like it's. Yeah, it's it's very love, and I'm sure through the podcast you experience this too. We love introducing people to music they have not heard of. Yeah, people that we've met on our on our tours around the country that we fall in love with their music and just want people to know about their music, and and it's our pleasure to be able to present that to Fayetteville. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. especially after this episode, you've, you're going to introduce Zach and I to these. <laughs> yeah. Because we are sure. looking up everything. Cool. I'll give you a list to go home with. <laughs> okay. Very good. good. Excellent. Slowly write them down. The education of uh, Zach and Peyton. I like <laughs> Musical education. You're hearing it right here yeah. on the podcast. Um, so I, I am curious. Peyton, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, or I guess we've you've mentioned it since we've been sitting here. But they're going on a tour. In Denmark. Are they? And going to be in Sweden. Uh, when I found this out today, I was kind of blown away. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, there's... When I think about musicians, maybe even musicians around here, they find it tough to do maybe even a weekend warrior yeah. uh, type thing. Yeah. And so to be meeting people from here who are, oh, we are international superstars. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's It's really neat, though, to see that oh, they're going on Europe on a tour. Um, I can't imagine that anyone uh, from here is going to be attending any any of those shows. <laughs> you never know. But, but I mean, you... we actually have some really good friends who have been big supporters of ours that are considering buying tickets to Denmark so they can come catch a few shows and then hang out for a while and tour around in Scandinavia. Yeah. So, you know, some... you never know. you got to uh-huh. get them on. It's a... Uh, 
Greg and Patty Mitchell. Actually, if you if you happen to see the lineup announcement video for the Fayetteville Roots Festival, mm-hmm. okay. Greg is the letterpress artist, and he oh he, that and, guy yeah he's he's made a he's made a commemorative poster letterpress poster for the festival the last two years, and then he's the one in that video doing all of that. Gotcha. And I love that video. That was great. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, he it was just the two of us. He made the 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 print and I shot the video and that's a great um, idea. I, he was going over just to have fun hanging out with Greg at the print shop that day i had yeah. no idea he was gonna create his whole lineup video that uh-huh. day too <laughs> he did good work i just yeah. had an idea and i had an extra day uh um, you only work so five to, days to answer right? the, your your, your <laughs> yeah. european tour question um you know we have played music together for 15 16 years now mm-hmm. almost and when when you have uh just like any profession when you're in it for the song you meet people and we have met some fantastic artists who live in Denmark and mm-hmm. in Sweden. And so you start to make these these connections, these musical connections, which are their professional connections for us. Mm-hmm. And that sparks some some creative collaboration. And, and then we get to go to Denmark to uh, fulfill those fun jam nights. And you, know, you sit around a campfire in Kerrville playing your heart out on some songs and it sparks sparks some sort of connection with yeah. someone and they say oh my gosh please come I, back to my country and play your music i remember that night well that we met mc it was up at, uh so if you ever go to the Kerrville folk festival it's 18 days long <laughs> in the hill country of texas <laughs> <Jeez>. yes and <laughs> yeah. and 11 days have a main stage going on and the other days are just in the campground basically okay which right? so when you hear some of the best yeah the best things yeah and there's this magical vortex there called crow's nest and it is literally this the ring of rocks where they will do a campfire um and it's just magical night and i remember that circle so well because mc was there and uh, our buddy gregory uh, who, who gregory allen isaacoff was there that night mm-hmm. and our buddy johan and it was this, this magical song circle where everyone that passed the guitar around it was just incredible um, and and Gregory, if you ever listen to Gregory's music, he has this very defined kind of guitar sound. I do know Gregory. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I don't. Okay, good. Well, yeah, good. Uh, way to go, Zach. Yes. That's so so if yeah, you listen one. to Gregory, he has this very defined guitar sound, and he had his recording guitar with him that night, which yeah. is, it was this really crappy kind of like Stella acoustic guitar, sorry, but it Gregory, just sounds. You're listening. Yeah, sorry, he knows. Gregory. He knows. He knows. Um, <laughs> And and he passed it around, and I remember everyone that played it all of a sudden sounded better than they really do, or whatever. <laughs> and, and and but that was the night we met MC Hansen, and MC lives just south of Copenhagen, and his whole thing is he has a band called the Sentimentals, and he loves American folk music, and he's tapped into this notion that he can bring a solo American artist over and back them up and book this tour of shows in Denmark. Wow. Uh, he just his most recent tour, they did a tour with Slade Cleaves. Uh, a great singer songwriter. Ever heard of him? <laughs> Man, nope. you all are <laughs> so ambitious. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give you a playlist. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. seriously, I seriously think I will make a playlist okay. of you literally should. everything. Yes. You <laughs> so, so Slade is originally from Maine, but he's been kind of a fixture of Austin for the last mm-hmm. fifteen years, twenty years. He's a great singer songwriter, and uh, so they did a tour with Slade, and so we have kind of been. Since we met MC, we were like, you know, we would really love to do that. How do you do this? How is this possible? And he, he's kind of been, you know, coaching us along and how it would work. And then we just set some dates, and those dates are coming up soon. We'll be leaving on uh, March 6th, and we'll be over there until the 24th of March. And 
you know, I'm pretty stoked. Actually, I'm really ex- most excited because uh, the festival, the Fable Roots Festival, the our most, our biggest competition oh, yes. is Tonda, which yes. is a town in Denmark, and they have a they have the Tonda Music Festival. Okay, and it is the it's it is the biggest, biggest American music folk festival in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Think about that, and, right? and it happens, and it's on our weekend. <laughs> no, and, and yes, yeah, it's, it, it, it's insane. And Come so, on. So, so we try to get artists, and they're like, oh, God, I'm sorry, I'm already booked for Tonda. Uh, yeah, like, and, and so we're playing a gig in Tonda, and I'm just, I just can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I'm just so excited because all I, the people stealing yeah, all my yeah, artists. I figure out what this is all about, uh-huh. you know, and give them a piece of my mind. Uh, we might be over there next August, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, that's what I was sorry, thinking. Oh man, we lose you to Tonda. Yeah. So, anyways, we're we're doing some shows, and then we're um, we're gonna make our way over to Stockholm, where we have a good friend, Tom Levin. He's a songwriter that we've collaborated with and written some songs with, and uh, we're gonna go play a couple shows there and see him. And uh, my family's originally from Sweden, and so oh, okay. it's like a big it's a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went over two summers ago, and we went to the island where my family was originally from, and I just had this. this it's like the moment. same twelve houses that were there when his great grandfather yeah. was there they're wow. they're still there and like yeah. the same old lady i think maybe knew your ancient relative yeah. still alive we talked yeah. to her yeah she didn't speak much english and <laughs> but it, you know like she had my family's names kind of on her like wall she had this like big thing of like who her relative like a family tree sure. you know and i'm like that i think that's my family and we were just like ah, da, 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 you know having this conversation <laughs> uh but anyway so uh i'm excited to go back feels right um i've never really been moved by um like a place that was my heritage you know it's like i'm from tulsa i have great love for tulsa Mm -hmm. and you know my family's from arkansas and i have love for that but like going back there it just moved me in a really interesting way and so you know i mean i'd i'd go back just to go back there but thank heavens there's some shows to play and some money to pay for the tickets. And, yeah, that's right. And, you know, we could do that. We're taking our daughter with us. She'll be, she went uh, two years ago. Her name's Bergen. She's named after Bergen, Norway. And mm. we always told her, which was <clears throat> a complete, like, I don't, a goal, a lie, a parent lie. <laughs> Before you're 10, we will take you to Bergen, Norway. Yeah. And uh, it, it worked. We got that tour booked and we took yeah. her and it was, it was a pretty, pretty epic trip. So we're going to go back. We're not going to go to Bergen, but we're going to take her back to Denmark. Does uh, Northern Europe have any good folk songs you might want to bring back to America? Probably Ooh. so. There's, there's, um, Maybe we'll learn one and we can come back on the podcast and we'll play it for deal. you. Deal. It'd be great. Yeah. Dig it. I'll shake on it. Yeah. It's a, good, <laughs> most, it's a good idea. Most of the people, what's interesting is most of the people that we've met over there are fascinated with American folk music. Mm-hmm. Really? And yeah. some of the musicians that we've met, um, you know, like this guy Stig Nielsen that we met, uh, he's from Copenhagen. Denmark in general, but you know, spends a lot of time in Copenhagen. He knows more about American music than I do. Yeah, it was. It's, kind of scary in, it's incredible huh. what he knows, and especially about like Ozark, yeah, Missouri area oh, man, music. It yeah. was but really fascinating. As somebody not no. here at all, yeah. Okay, wow, yeah, yeah. And turns uh, out this American music thing we have going on is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, and and so it's interesting to to meet musicians. Danish musicians or Swedish musicians or Norwegian musicians. We met a, a Norwegian guitar player when we were in California. We we were the Buck Owens at the Museum. Buck Owens Museum in Bakersfield, and and so we got to call that guy. Yeah, we got to call that guy. <laughs> uh, tell him we're coming. Uh, anyways, we're, there, have you ever been to the Buck Owens Museum? 
I've no. not oh, been there. You got to go. It is incredible, okay? <laughs> Let wait, me just wait, paint wait, the picture. Do you guys know Buck Owens? Oh, oh my man. Gosh. Okay, do you know Dwight Yoakam? <laughs> yes. So yes. Dwight Yoakam, his sound is literally pretty much a tribute to Buck Owens. Kind of. Okay. Kind yeah, of. I mean, he... Yeah. Like, In his that, own way. Yeah, you know... Um, he did this song, Streets of Bakersfield, which is Buck Owens' song. Okay. This set makes us sound really old. I Gosh, know. I know. I'm going to make this playlist. I'm you, not even got joking. To. You've got okay. to. So, so here, let me paint the picture for you. Okay. You do walk it. into the Buck Owens Museum, and it's not really a museum as much as it is like a it's a showcase. venue. Yeah, it's a showcase. It's a stage, and they have a bar, and, and above the bar is a Cadillac. Okay. Okay. And the Cadillac, are you familiar with um, what's called a nudie suit? Have you ever heard of a nudie, nudie suit? suit. No. This is not nudie, like the no guy, clothes. Yeah, right. the his, guy's his name was name nudie. Was he he okay. was in Nashville, and he made you know when you see a like sixties Nashville, yeah, yeah, like oh, really okay. elaborate yes. suits, right? Uh-huh. So the entire interior of this convertible Cadillac that is up above the bar, which was Buck Owens' car, was embroidered by nudie. Okay, so like just imagine. That, okay, okay. Did you ever watch? Uh, did you ever watch Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. So the Cadillac looks like mm. Boss Hogg's Cadillac, mm-hmm. okay. except it has the entire interior custom embroidered. In between the front two seats, there's a saddle. So like I guess you could ride in that on that <laughs> saddle in the Cadillac. Uh-huh. The dash is covered in silver dollars. That's just what's behind the bar. That's okay. Crazy. Then all around the venue, you have these glass cases, and they're filled with memorabilia. Point it's, of this so American, it's, so like, it's so American too. It's so American. Okay. So the point is, is there's this really flashy Telecaster over in one of the cases, and I walk over and I'm staring at it, and all of a sudden I turn over and there's this other guy and he's staring at it, and I'm like, "Hey, man, what year do you think that is?" And he's like, "I don't know." I'm like, whoa, whoa, where are you from? And he's like, I'm from Norway. And we met this guy, and uh, he's this Norwegian that's in love with American music, you know? And so I guess my point is you asked about, you know, Scandinavian folk songs or whatever. The people that we met. They sing American folk songs. Yeah, they sing American folk songs. (laughs) But we're going to dig deep. We're going to really dig deep. We, last year, so at Folk Alliance, where we're going very soon, uh, every February it happens in Kansas City. Uh, Actually, it'll be in British Columbia next year. But, um, we with MC last year recorded "This Land Is Your Land," the Woody Guthrie "This Land Is Your Land," because that is such an epic song for not only us but for everyone. It's this American folk song, yeah, world folk song, yeah, world folk song, exactly. So we recorded it as a world folk song in, in five there. different languages. Yeah, people yeah, represented cool. uh, representing several different countries, and so when you listen to it, each verse is sung in a, a different language, and and we held up the the American yeah. language part of it. American language. American language. <laughs> <laughs> Near the shadow of the steeple, near the immigration office, I see my people. And some are grumbling, and some are wondering, is this land still made for you and me? Uh, so you guys could check it out. I think it was voted like one of the NPR's top favorite videos. Top performances of 2017. Yeah. Yeah, yeah wow. it was really interesting. It was like Kendrick Lamar and <laughs> all of these folk musicians playing this land is your land. No lie. I'll send you the link. Okay. It's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of fun to be on that list because there were other like really beautiful people on that list of you know, like their top 15 things of 2017. And yeah. My daughter recognized most of them because they're like pop artists. Mm-hmm. And so it was cool to be included. She's yeah. Like, wow. That is so, – because I don't know that she thinks we – 
play cool music. Yeah. Okay. But we felt cool at that point. For one moment in time. Yeah. (laughs) That's fascinating. Yeah. That's that's incredible. That's so good. That's fun. So you asked the question. (laughs) (laughs) That I did. Um, Because this will be coming out uh, the week of Valentine's Day. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, What is it like and what are some um, encouragements or advice you can offer for people working, collaborating maybe with their significant others on creative projects or business things Mm -hmm. or creating festivals? (laughs) What would you, what would you give advice to for, uh, people working? Well, I think one needs to be a really, really hard worker and the other one needs to be really laid back to support the other one. That's a really hard worker. Is this where I ask which one you are? (laughs) You tell us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Brian does all the hard work, really. Um, I don't know. We we actually, we get asked that a lot. Like, how do you guys work and live together? And uh, I don't know. It just always has been that way, I think. Yeah. It just works. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a recipe for why it works. Mm -hmm. You couldn't make it work. You know, you couldn't reconstruct it. It literally was just all the pieces of the puzzle. It was Bernice, 16 years old, playing in a rock and roll band, <laughs> playing hot leather pants, you know, and, and, and like playing in the dive bars of South Arkansas and me, you know, listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana. And, you know, like you could not piece I, let all me just put Mina is not South Arkansas. Okay. I don't. Where is it? It's Western Arkansas. Southwestern it's right Arkansas. In the middle. It's right in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, okay. anyways, but th- is that that's something that was with your relationship from the get go? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we we met playing. Mu- I mean, the night we met, we sat and, and played music together, and we didn't create a festival together not, that night. Sure. But- wow, I'm really disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I think uh, it has never been forced, and I maybe that's the best advice is to not force it. Just mm-hmm. let yeah. let happen. What is going to happen? Yeah, and Bernice has varied interests that I'm not interested in and I have interests that she's not interested in. It's not as if like every single thing we do crosses over. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we do crosses over. Um, we don't have a lot of time apart, but it's not like we're working on a, you know, a creative endeavor at every moment. Um, I think we do a pretty good job of like relaxing and getting away from it. You know, having a daughter has helped with that. You know, I think if we didn't have a family and a daughter, we might be even <laughs> more obsessive about it and like yeah. dig in too deep, you know, and keep working too much. And um, I think it's good to let um, one partner do the thing that they're most passionate about. Like Brian has things that he will work on because if I helped him on it, we would argue about it. Yeah. And he he's great at it and I should let him do that. And then there are other things like the composting that he just has to let me work on and their projects that are passionate for me and necessarily mm-hmm. you know maybe not as yeah as so important to him you have to compliment each other right, but no no you have to you have to have a lot in common but then also compliment each other in in ways that you know uh you know are different i guess i don't know it, it this sounds really hokey <laughs> i mean it just sounds ridiculous but basically um it either works or it doesn't okay. and if it works you better just keep keep doing it that's, I guess, my view on it. Like, if you huh. find something that works and you have a partner, whether it's a you know romantic partner or just like a platonic thing or whatever, if it's a podcast partner, if it's working and you don't have to force it, you just keep doing it because it's pretty rare. 
I will admit, I think the reason why people ask us this question is because it is rare. You know, there are far more stories of like, you know, the breakup or the divorce or the yep. whatever, right? And um, so, you know, people ask because it is rare and we acknowledge that. We we're very cognizant of that. I think that, um, you know, you have to honor it and <laughs> accept it and be like, hey, let's let's ride this and keep this rolling. So if you're out there and you have a creative partner, love the heck out of them and just keep it keep it going noted noted <laughs> yeah, you as guys. i look at peyton <laughs> yeah as i don't look at zach uh, <laughs> well to your point about being hokey i mean it's also hokey to ask you know what advice you give on valentine's week so. oh that's great uh, hey listen someone's valentine's, really gonna appreciate in, that in, yeah. in a couple nights here on valentine's we're going to be at Folk Alliance, okay? Mm -hmm. We've gone to Folk Alliance. This will probably be our 10th year. And Folk Alliance is 3,000 musicians, 3,000 music fans, and 3,000 industry types all cooped up in one hotel for four days, okay? Ooh, baby. Ooh, all right. baby. Yeah. So, so keep in mind, keep in mind that it oh, was wait, only... Oh, wait, they do take out all the beds, though. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so you can have showcases in mind. hotel rooms. But anyways, <laughs> uh, so it was only recently, about a week and a half ago, that someone pointed out we were going to be there on Valentine's night. And I realized we've been there the same week for years. And so our Valentine's night is like a folk festival. <laughs> Which and, is sounds probably perfect <laughs> yeah, for the two of you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and it always has been. Um, for years we've spent on the road Bernice's birthday. We were on the road for Bernice's birthday in early August playing a show. Every year. Every you know. And uh, so that's another thing in the partnership and the love and the romantic element is you have to learn how to like not necessarily celebrate in the way that you think that people, everyone thinks you should celebrate, you know? Yeah. I mean, we're going to be setting up a room to host some of our favorite musicians for three nights of music. That sounds pretty romantic to me. Oh, so romantic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're, we're sharing a house in Kansas City with two of our dear friends, the Honey Dew Drops, and they're a married couple that, you know, spend their life on the road. And, man, I'm, I'm super stoked to see them, and that feels like Valentine's, mm -hmm. you know? It's like we're going to be celebrating that way. I mean... You know, what's a day? What's what is Valentine's Day in yeah. you guys? Know? No, it's Thank just a commercialized you. stupid thing for the <laughs> Hallmarks. <laughs> Made up by Hallmark yeah. to sell cars. Speaking exactly. of that, that we're we're going to be at the Westin at the Hallmark Plaza. So <laughs> maybe 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 we can walk down and buy ourselves a card and you know maybe a, a you know what what are those hmm. little figurines that are made in Missouri? I don't know. Uh, oh precious moments. Precious moments. Oh, precious, oh my of gosh. Of course, How could I forget? <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh boy! Um, Bad memories? No, it's just, just he has a, just PTSD around precious <laughs> memories. Maybe they're thrown at me as a kid. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for really digging into folk music. We really did. I we mean, did. I'm sorry, you guys. We brought it on ourselves tonight. Well, well, no, I think it's really excellent because as people who don't know or understand folk music as we clearly demonstrated tonight uh we are inept and <laughs> unable to talk about folk music at all yes um it's nice for us as lay people quote unquote to like hear perspective on this stuff sure. it's part of what we want to do is you know us learn about what's going on here and so for you guys to dig into that is like really good for us to hear and good for our listeners to hear um because maybe, you know, we're a lot like our listeners, really dumb. Um, <laughs> wow. Wait, wait oh, they're not no. dumb. Gosh, can you edit that? You might need to, <laughs> you might need to take that out. 
I might need to. Um, <laughs> I mean, we are just all lay oh people, God. you know, yeah. and yeah. so uh, not, we aren't professionals. Oh my! Every I expert got... started as a beginner, right? Yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite. Well, quotes. I I don't know necessarily what the theme was, but. I hope you're right. I hope, you know, through this that someone listens and learns something. Um, if not, uh, you know. Do you least... allow people to, like, call in or comment? I'm sure you're going to get some. We, after I called them dumb, we might. <laughs> yeah. This is good. You need a little controversy if you're going to get, if you're going to grow your audience. Like yeah. we said, we're here for scandal. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for uh, coming over and, and talking with us. Yeah. It's and been it, fun. And if nothing else, people have now a playlist of stuff to go check out. If, That's uh, right. If they don't know any... Because I will share this playlist. Okay, okay. Episode okay. Drops. We'll, we'll give you I some more. We'll, gonna... we'll, we'll feed you as much as you can take. Perfect. Bring it on. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for having us, y'all. It Thanks, was a guys. Great time. So, in response to specifically our conversation about folk music, I thought that this was really interesting given our conversation with Willie and Allison. Okay. So, Willie and Allison, for the listener, um, they are uh, part of a like their own old-timey music specifically, and I mean old-timey, um, which would be a genre of folk mm-hmm. if we're going to you know, draw a chart around it. Sure. And they really tied uh, old-timey music and, uh, I guess, folk music a little bit more broadly to punk and how rebellious it is against um, the, the paradigms of the time. And so I thought this, this very interesting dynamic was at play in my brain, the whole Mm -hmm. interview of for Brian and Bernice's definition of folk. Well, Brian's definition, Bernice did say she doesn't entirely agree with Brian on the way he talks about it. True. So Brian's definition of folk, he's in, and if I could sum it up fast, it's pop that is no longer pop, but still has value to the people. Sure, and maybe more so music that is not contemporary pop. Yes. Contemporary to its day. And so that's an interesting dynamic to me, kind of drawing a line from Brian's definition to Willie and Allison's of old time and their comparison of old time and folk to punk as something rebellious and also representative of of kind of the, the working class. Mm. That was that's an interesting parallel. You are getting a funny over like a strange Venn diagram. Oh, it's weird of music history. Oh man! And again, we learned a lot today. So I don't know how much of this analysis is really bulletproof, but I'm just seeing the parallels between those comparisons. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, I'll still be chewing on that definition for a little bit and considering it. Because I don't know that I entirely agree with Brian either. It seems a little broad for my understanding. But also, as you found out, we don't know Jack yeah. about folk music. Um, so I'll probably be listening to more of this stuff. And Peyton, as we make this playlist, or as you make this playlist we were talking about, I may toss you over some of those old ballads that I was talking about in Irish ballads or Uh, sea shanties or logging songs that I was talking about and maybe toss some of those in there because they're gorgeous in there, you know, hundreds of years old at times. So I may toss over some your way if you want to put those in the playlist too. Nice. Just a consideration. So with that being said, 
We are at the Ozark superstition part of this episode. <laughs> well, I guess you're doing the woo sound because especially on this part, it's about ghosts, right? Yeah, we have a ghost story or Ooh, a sort of ghost story. Um, we'll see some familiar elements is all I'll say. Peyton, you've not heard this story yet. So, I'm not. Um, as I like to keep. As I like to keep it. So let's jump into Ozark superstitions. Okay. So according to Vance Randolph, we're pulling from Vance Randolph's 1947 book, Ozark, Ozark Superstitions. For this. Vance doesn't like us very much. Uh, Vance uh, is a city slicker who thought he was going to come into our neck of the woods, quite literally, um, and tell all of those city slickers how we live um, between the years roughly 1800s to 1940, um, which we are not, but we are geographical um, descendants of these people. Uh, they were stories who that were probably told right where we're sitting right now uh, before this house was here, perhaps. So that's an interesting thing to think about. So uh, according to Vance Randolph, ghost stories in the Ozarks are not terribly dissimilar from other ghost stories being told at the time in America, um, other than the fact that they just are embedded in an Ozark cultural context. Um, so where maybe someone's story in the Northeast might revolve around a uh, an asylum or a haunted hospital or something like that, you have haunted cabins here and you have um, different sorts of things, machinations of the same sort of story, just being told in a different context. But th once again, they include everything from the haunted house thing to graveyards, etc. Um, pioneers who were kind of the predecessors to Ozarkers who lived here during the 19th century um, made a habit of inviting people into their homes for the express purpose, quote, for the express purpose of swapping supernatural tales. Ooh. So they would just have people over just to tell scary stories, which I love it. It's the idea of the bonfire. We get together, we sit around a bonfire, we share stories and try to scare each other. It's great. Um, this sort of thing was passed on to, once again, we're coming back to maybe Vance Randolph's misogyny, misogyny or maybe just the misogyny of the day where this was passed on to women and children because men thought it was silly that people told, told ghost stories. They kind of kept it, once again, at arm's length. So as Vance Randolph as, is recording these ghost stories, he's talking to people and they're telling him, well, when I was a kid, we used to have a ton more ghost stories. And ghost stories now have kind of dwindled. We don't hear as many ghost stories um, for whatever reason. And he quotes someone by the name of Mrs. May Kennedy McCord of Springfield, Missouri. Okay. As saying... The reason that there's fewer ghost stories than there were in her own childhood was because, quote, there are so few really lonesome places nowadays. Um, in order to raise a good crop of ghosts, she says, we must have a lot of old mills and deserted houses and covered bridges, and these romantic spots are not so common as they used to be. So the reason you don't hear so many ghost stories is because there's not so many abandoned places. They don't have homes. Correct. Yes, because people do have homes. Yes. Because things have been um, gentrified in a... By mortals 
Yes, in a in an urban sense, there's been gentrification of tearing down the old and building new uh, to make room for new settlers or new pioneers to come along and settle in the Ozarks. So according um, to Ms. M- Mrs. McCord, ghost stories dwindle as infrastructure increases and you have fewer spookier spots, which I think is an interesting concept. Ghost economics. And she's, it's just funny that she is this woman who lives in 1930s, 40s Springfield, Missouri, that she has this, I guess, really intelligent thought, like develop. It's not necessarily intelligent. It is a developed thought Mm. about why we hear less ghost stories. These are not simpletons. We remind you, they have an active and growing imagination. They just revolve around some of these omens and signs. So Randolph records one of these ghost stories in his book. And the story starts out as absurd as you might imagine. It starts with a woman um, who he calls Old Lady Jones um, and her two sons who are sheep thieves. Okay. But they are very specific in who and how they rob people, persons, person of their sheep. There are more than one way. There's more than one way to rob a to steal a sheep? You'll see. Okay. Um, well, they targeted a certain individual by the name of Jim Bray. Um, and the reason they targeted Jim Bray was because Jim Bray suffered um, from joint pain. And um, they call it rheumatism. Um, think about rheumatoid arthritis. Um, rendering him unable to walk, disabled, um, and unable to defend his sheep from sheep thieves. So how they devised their plan uh, was at night, old lady Jones and her two sons would hop over to the Bray farm and old lady Jones would wait in the graveyard and send her two sons to the farm that was just a little bit up the road um, to, I imagine the only road running by the Bray farm uh, that goes back to town. Um, She sends her two boys ahead of her to hunt down a sheep and she would wait in the graveyard for them to return under the cover of night. And so as they would return, they would carry the sheep between the two of them back and she would inspect it when they got back to see if the sheep was large enough to take home. If she did not deem the sheep large enough, she would send the boys back to get a different sheep. Uh, So on one of these particular ventures of sheep thievery, She's waiting in the graveyard under the cover of night. Her boys have gone to steal a sheep. Meanwhile, in the Jim Bray household, Jim Bray, uh, disabled, you know, sitting, talking to his family, is furious because people, there's someone who keeps stealing his sheep and not the small sheep, the big ones. People keep stealing his best and biggest sheep. Um, so he's getting upset with his kids over why they've not yet caught these sheep thieves. And Jim Bray proposes a plan. He says to his sons, if it were me, I would go wait in the graveyard until those sheep thieves came back from the farm and catch them as they were going down the road, headed back to town. His sons are like, okay, old man, if you want to do that, let's do it. And so they proceed to pick up their father between the two of them and walk him to the graveyard. As they approach the graveyard, old lady Jones is waiting on her sons to return with a sheep. Um, She sees two figures approach, carrying a third figure between them, and she jumps up out of the graveyard and she runs towards them 
and she yells, is he fat? And proceeds to pinch the disabled man on the leg. The two sons who think they've just seen, he's coming back, the devil, jump up and run out of the graveyard at them, um, drop their father, and run back to the house, (laughs) leaving him behind. The old man, remember, disabled old man, Yep. joint pain, inflammation, that sort of thing, thinking the devil himself has pinched his leg, has pinched his leg and is wondering if he's fat enough for the fires of hell um, to put off like a good fatty meat, burnt meat, fat smell. Because the devil's into that kind of stuff. He really is. Uh, or she really is, Ooh. as it turns out in this story. Oh, yeah. Um, thinking that the devil has overtaken him, he springs up and runs back to the house. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Of course, old lady Jones is confused. Her night goes about as normal. Um, but when Jim Bray gets back to the house, nearly catching up with his two sons, he claims from that day forward that the devil himself rose up from the grave. Here, I've got a quote for it. Oh, good. Um, it's great. Um, from then on, he claimed that the devil himself had, quote, risen up out of hell to cure his rheumatism after the doctors had plumb give up the case. Oh, man. He thought the devil had come to cure his achy joints. Devil's a nice lady. The devil's a nice lady. Um, I imagine they continued to steal his sheep. Oh. But he walked again. Well, okay. I guess, you know, maybe it's like a a zero, like a net zero kind of thing. Like, hey, he got to walk again, but like his sheep are still being stolen. Yeah, zero-sum game sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, perhaps. Like I said, the devil shows up a lot in these stories. We're going to see a lot from our friend the devil. It sounds like the devil is especially in the Ozarks. Yeah, um, and it's curious to think that this creature of terror that wants to throw your fat corpse into the pits of hell also just might be the uh, mechanism by which your uh, achy joints um, are healed and you can stand and walk again. Hmm. And so that's the story of the sheep thieves of the Ozarks. um, Wow. And the devil who cured rheumatism. Wow. What a ride. What a a ride. (laughs) It's just, it's so ridiculous. It is, it seems absolutely like a plot out of, um, like a sitcom today. Oh yeah. Just the, the way the synchronicity of events, the way they fall together is just so perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. perfect to the point of like, oh, this is completely made up. Um, but at the same time, I think about stories like this. Uh, most of these, most stories or superstitions seem to have some sort of like practical application, um, but I don't know that I'm I s- having trouble finding one. I'm having trouble finding one as well in the story. Okay. Um, so we'll hear more ghost stories. And while that's not quite a ghost story, I guess the devil showing up is kind of the big bad of the whole thing anyway. Devil's a little vain. Just like, is he fat? <laughs> yeah. Man. I mean, you don't want... St- Sticks and bones cooking in your fire. It's not. worth nothing. Um, 
Devil's into curvy people. <laughs> Very body positive devil. Yes. Yes. As, and then he immediately throws you into the oven. Okay. Um, but anyway, there's, there's that story. Loved it. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed another Ozark Superstition. We'll be back with you um, next week um, with probably another, with another Ozark Superstition. Um, if you have things you want to hear about, about, we can talk about herbal medicine. We can talk about livestock. We can talk about, um, water witches or power doctors, as I mentioned before, or just the devil every week or just the devil every week. (laughs) Um, then we've got 800 pages of worth of stuff to talk about. Oh yeah. Vance Randolph, uh, wrote quite a bit. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Go check out, uh, smoking the mirror. Um, they'll be in Kansas city the week this episode releases, and then they'll be on tour in Denmark. Uh, go check out their music. You can find it on their website, smokingthemirror.com, I believe is what it is. And Bernice did not say this directly on the episode, but try to listen to them on something like Apple music or actually buy their album because they apparently don't have a good relationship with Spotify. Yeah. Streaming platforms, um, aren't great. Yeah. For artists, usually, anyway, if you don't pay for it. Yeah. If you're listening to Spotify for free, don't listen to it. But if you're paying for Spotify, go ahead and give it a listen. Yeah. Unfortunately, Spotify doesn't have their latest stuff, but Apple Music does. So get in on that. Or you can buy their albums directly from them. Yes. Which is definitely an option. And it's worth doing. It's good stuff. Absolutely. Um, So with that being said, uh, you can follow us. On Facebook at heyheynwa.com. That's not it. Hey, hey, That's NWA. our website, though. Uh, yeah. Um, hey, follow. hey, NWA. Uh, follow us on Instagram at hey, hey, NWA podcast. Follow our Snapchat, hey, hey, NWA, for our crazy antics and just general existence in Northwest Arkansas. You can uh, support what we're doing here at hey, hey, nope. Man. Hey, hey. Lots of You got to get it right this time. Patreon.com forward slash hey hey nwa with that being said we hope you have a wonderful week we still don't have a thing to say at the end of the episode have a thing to say um the the, the devil's in the details is he fat (laughs) is he fat (laughs) i love it (laughs) that's a good one anyway thanks for joining us today and we'll see you next week adios smoke will rise from the fires